This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. You know, needing criminal defense, gosh, it must be one of the worst time in a person or a family's life. We'd like to help out by providing some information we hope that you will not ever need to use. Our guest is Attorney Francis Springer, and he'll answer some questions and help us become better informed. How are you doing there today, Professor Gershon? I'm doing great, Liz, and I think there, you know, people will say that they, they hate attorneys until they need us, and we're really happy uh, to welcome Francis Springer. I do hope uh, none of our listeners will, will need his services for criminal law, but he does a lot of different uh, types of law uh, that help people, and, and our job mainly is to keep people out of trouble, honestly, on the front end. But uh, Francis, Attorney Springer, it's always uh, a pleasure to welcome you to the show, and and, uh, you know, criminal defense is among your many areas of practice, and that's what we're going to be focusing on uh, today. But we're also going to be talking about the different courts that hear cases involving criminal uh, cases. And, you know, we, we've had you on the show before, and you're, you, you, you bring your background in law enforcement as well as the law. So you know how both sides of this work. So how does your experience as a police officer help to inform your work as a criminal defense attorney? Well, first, let me say good morning uh, to you and to Liz, and uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Um, that is an interesting aspect, I think. I've, there are some lawyers that have been police officers, but the, the vast majority have not. As far as practicing the law, I don't think there's a lot of difference between uh, someone that was a law enforcement officer and someone that was not that's practicing law. But I am and, and others are able to see things a little bit differently, kind of knowing where the officers that are investigating any crime are coming from. And also a little more familiar with perhaps forensic technology, things like that, to know if something's kind of on the right track or not, uh, not necessarily being an expert in that area, but knowing pretty much how it works and uh, kind of give some unique perspectives from that, uh, that side of the game, so to speak. Great. It's great to see both of y'all uh, this morning in uh, the studio um, together, and that's uh, that's a, I, it, I, it, I love that. I love that uh, we're back to using the studio. Uh, I am still in Oxford um, and uh, using uh, Zoom. And Although, uh, Professor Gershon, I did read the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is going to go back to mask mandates on Monday, so folks still need to be vigilant. Right. Uh, exactly. We're going to see probably another wave. But, uh, you know, we, we I think we've, we've, we've weathered this, so we're, we're, we're kind of getting better at, uh, at dealing with it. But, but um, Francis, so thank you for joining us today. And we're, you know, before we talk about the court system, let's, let's talk about interactions, and the, especially the initial interactions with law enforcement. What should I do if I'm stopped by a police officer? We could, any of us, anybody could be stopped really at any time if an officer has what's called by the courts articulable, reasonable suspicion. Basically, they have to describe 
reasonable suspicion to stop someone. They can't just stop someone because they look funny, look suspicious, although, you know, that may uh, manifest into uh, suspicion of a crime. But I think there are two main ways that, that a person would be stopped by law enforcement, and one would be driving or in a vehicle, and the other, obviously, would be, I think, being a pedestrian or walking somewhere. And what I would say to someone driving a vehicle, if it's a, just a general traffic stop or however, try to safely pull to the right of the road and safely stop as quick as you can. And uh, safely is kind of the key word. I know there's some times of, of night that um, areas are not deemingly safe. And I don't think there's a problem generally with uh, driving a reasonable speed to a lighted area, something like that. And when you do stop, make sure if you can, there's enough room for the officer to approach your vehicle. Some officers approach driver's side, some approach passenger side for safety reasons. And uh, essentially just get where you can communicate with the officer, roll your window down to some degree, uh, and then listen for instructions. Uh, the best thing to do is follow the instructions of the officer as best you can and uh, put your hands where they can be seen because that'll, that'll make the officer have a little bit more or a little bit less to, to worry about, I guess, a driver. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. Passengers, just keep your hands where they can be seen. And uh, just keep in mind that the officer can order anyone out of a vehicle, the driver or passengers, and just, again, you know, follow directions. If you're not in a vehicle, basically just do what the officer says. There are going to be some physical uh, actions and, and verbal directions. Just do what the officer says is the best way to go. And if you disagree with that officer in either situation, that's really for later. Well, that's great advice. Um, so um, now what does that mean? When a police officer stops me for any reason, am I, am I under arrest? Not necessarily. Um, you are detained. And there's a, there's a fine line really between the two. A detention is seen more uh, temporary. It's less intrusive. It's a little more... Uh, less invasive. It's just to find out what's going on, more or less, to see if there is anything that this, this person has done uh, that needs to be investigated further. Compared to an arrest, which is really long-term, where you're taken to the police station or to a jail, and uh, there's no question at that point you're not free to leave. But uh, with a detention or an arrest, you're not immediately free to leave. And the arrest is just more invasive and intrusive. This morning we're talking about criminal defense. We hope you don't need to know, but this is exactly the kind of information you need to know until you need to know it. So we'd love for you to send us a question by email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are so pleased to have back on the show attorney Francis Springer to answer mine, <laughs> Professor Gershens, and your questions. <laughs> Yes, Liz, it's great to, great to have Francis back on, and uh, he's been a, a wonderful guest in the past. Where we really appreciate his time. And, Francis, you know, you mentioned that arrest is, is more intrusive than detention. Are, are, are there certain rights that come along once you, once you are arrested? There, there are rights that we all have are really at all times. Uh, there's some that will come into play more so if you're arrested or detained. Uh, you don't really lose any of your rights unless there is reason there to stop you, like we're all free to move around without in, intrusion from the government. However, if there's reason, uh, the courts have allowed officers to stop people. We're talking about that. You still have the right to remain silent. Uh, you don't have to answer any questions or make any statements. 
Uh, however, depending on the circumstances, you know, you may have to do something like that. Generally, to identify yourself once there is reason to ask for your identity, you do have to do that. Uh, but again, there you have to have a reasonable articulable, articulable suspense, suspicion, if I can talk right, that a crime or has occurred or is about to be committed. And uh, that's sometimes a, a point of contention. So, you know, it's up to each individual, but uh, the best thing to do is to cooperate at the time. And one thing that people can do uh, to kind of help explain the whole story is they can film or record what's going on to a reasonable degree. You can't interfere with what the officer's doing, but at the same time, you do have a right to photograph from a, a safe location, and uh, that kind of helps tell the story later of what happened. At what, at what point at, at, you know, would you recommend that someone in that process, detention to arrest, get in touch with a lawyer? As soon as possible. And, and when I say possible, it's not something where you can just stop and say, hey, I'm going to use a phone and call my lawyer because the officer is going to tell you real quick, no. And you don't necessarily have a right to an attorney at that point. Uh, some of the courts are... are I won't say arguing, but maybe conflicted on when the right to have an attorney does kick in. But if you have the ability to contact a lawyer just at your first opportunity to call, I would definitely say to contact that lawyer for advice on, on what to do specifically. I just how and this is like this is not part of our script but how, how does somebody know who to call you know let's say I've, I've never been in the criminal justice system I'm, I'm arrested for the first time I, I have no idea where to go what how do I even know which lawyer to call a lot of people won't because uh, a lot of criminal defense attorneys uh, don't advertise their services like uh, personal injury lawyers uh, say so unless you really know someone, um, you're going to have to get access to a phone book or the Internet or something like that to uh, to make that phone call. And then there's a possibility, depending on the time of day, the uh, lawyer may or may not be available. I'm, I'm picturing that cinder block wall that the payphone is hanging on that someone has etched in uh, the phone number of uh, you know, for, need an attorney, call so-and-so, and it's got their name scratched into the paint. Uh, there, there are some, some uh, jails. I know Hines County Detention Center runs some ads of bondsmen and attorneys there in the lobby, so there's, there's a number of ways to find out. But whoever you call, you need to be comfortable with. Well, and we that's why we're giving this information out today, so you'll maybe think about who who would you call if you needed help. We want you to send us an email with your questions right now. Legal terms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing criminal defense with our guest, attorney Francis Springer. So, where, besides our show, can you find general information about each level of the court system and the kinds of matters dealt with at each level? We're going to tell you that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
drive a vehicle, then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is in legal terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from the website inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. If you'd like general information in addition to dockets, briefs, orders, and opinions of the Supreme Court and Court of Appeals of Mississippi, you can just head over to their website, courts.ms.gov. I'll have that link in the show information for this podcast. This morning, we are talking about criminal defense with our guest attorney, Francis Springer. And, uh, it's great to have Francis on. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to go back to something I, that I thought about after the first segment. And I've got uh, daughters, and, you know, sometimes if they're driving out and late at night, um, and, and they see a flashing light behind them, but they're not 100% sure because there are circumstances where people have been uh, pretended to be police officers. You mentioned that it's okay because if it is a police officer, okay to drive to a lighted space. Are there recommendations? Like, you know, one of the things we said to them was maybe look for, you know, a a shopping center or something like that that's well lit. I mean, is that going to be okay with the police officer? We hope so. And and the reason I say that is there's not really a standard on how to address that because, unfortunately, some people would take that and and use that to potentially get away or to uh, possibly lure an officer into an ambush-type situation. So it's it's a difficult thing to to balance. Uh, I'm, I'm from Meridian, and, and many years ago, I was younger, but I can recall very specifically, we had a, a serial killer there that was stopping girls at night and uh, assaulting them and, and killing them. And it got to a point there, you know, where people were scared to stop for even a, a fully marked vehicle. And uh, today that's gotten, uh, in my opinion, it's gotten a little worse with that, with uh, some of the vehicles I see with law enforcement that you can barely tell that they're they're police cars, basically. Uh, It's difficult because people can buy blue lights off of the Internet or anything and impersonate an officer. So while safety is the ultimate end, uh, like I say, the best thing you can do is just obey the law, perhaps turn on your flashers, and ease into a, a populated area if one exists. Um, alternatively, get on the phone, you know, call 911, because you'll probably be linked into the dispatcher of the unit that's pulling you over. And they should have radio contact, or at least give the driver some uh, instruction on what to do. Uh, so it's uh, it's not a big problem, but it, it can come up and... and create some confusion but uh safety of the individual is is paramount that's great advice thank you for that and and, you know so now let's turn our focus to the court system if we can because uh, that's that's our main topic for today and 
uh, you know, I think people are confused because there are many courts that hear cases of all kinds, criminal cases, civil cases, but, you know, we're focused on the, the ones that hear criminal cases today. And they can vary from city court to justice court, uh, county court, federal court. And then sometimes the cases uh, go to the appellate courts in Mississippi, maybe even all the way to the Mississippi Supreme Court. So um, what are, for example, what are cases heard by city courts? The city courts are, are 100% criminal uh, and, and 100% misdemeanor. The only federal, oh, excuse me, not federal, but the only felony type crimes they hear would be initial appearances uh, and, and basically preliminary hearings where you just guard or, excuse me, gauge to see if an actual crime has been committed. Once that's determined, they're turned over to the civil, uh, excuse me, to the circuit court. Uh, but municipal courts, each city has its own municipal court, its own judge. Uh, there are no jury trials in municipal court. And um, it's basically anything that's a misdemeanor that occurs within that city. It has to be within the city's jurisdiction to go to that municipal court. So if I get a speeding ticket or some traffic violation, something like that, that, I, that I'm uh, in court for, that would most likely be then in municipal court? Yes, if it's from a, a city police officer, it would be. Well, again, not not part of our topics, but so I, I've noticed that like you'll you'll see signs that say "begin police jurisdiction." So when you're not in a you're not uh, in the jurisdiction of the police, whose jurisdiction is it uh, that then would be the arresting officer in that jurisdiction? The sheriff has jurisdiction over the whole county, so most of the areas outside of the municipalities would be uh, under the jurisdiction of the the sheriff of the county. Uh, highway Patrol has jurisdiction on all highways of the state specifically, so it could be either one of those outside. Uh, as far as, as police jurisdiction, in Mississippi, it mirrors the city limits. Uh, police officers don't have jurisdiction outside of the city limits if they're city police officers. I know in Alabama, I see a number of those those signs that say police jurisdiction starts here, and then you get down the road a mile or so, and it says the city limit. And as I understand it, Alabama allows, uh, and I don't practice law in Alabama, I'm just going off what I've been told, they allow police jurisdiction outside of the city to a certain area for, per population. But in Mississippi, the city police are only limited to what's inside the city. That's interesting. It really is. So now, okay, so now I'm, I'm arrested for, uh, you know, a crime, and, and I don't go to municipal court. So let's talk about justice court. Um, what exactly are justice courts, and what kind of criminal cases would they hear? Justice court has, um, I guess you could almost say, concurrent jurisdiction with municipal court over criminal matters. Uh, even something that occurs inside a city can be taken to justice court because its jurisdiction will extend to the whole county. Each county has their own justice court, and they hear all misdemeanors that occur, you know, some very rarely inside cities, but everything outside of cities. Uh, most highway patrol uh, citations are, occur on the highways outside of cities. They go through justice court. Um, all arrests of sheriffs or constables for misdemeanors, they would also go through justice court. And some of the state uh, schools and hospitals, those would go through justice court. So if you are arrested, then I guess if you're conscious and awake and, and, and you can see where you're being taken, you'll be able to notice if you're going to a city facility or a county facility or, or something. And then once you are able to call for assistance, 
are you able to articulate where you are and and what kind of help you need? Sure, sure. You'll you'll know where you are, uh, and and you'll be able to make a phone call to contact somebody and just tell them where you are. The significance of the court at that time is not that important. Uh, it's more of where you are and where somebody can come to get you out. Uh, the paperwork that they give you uh, will show what court that you need to report to and when you need to report. Uh, just about everything has an arraignment date that's given, and uh, some courts allow you to call in and plead guilty or not guilty and request a trial date, and some require appearance on the arraignment. So the instructions are given uh, specifically when you're released from custody. Well, if you don't want to give your real name, but you do want to call in to ask a question, well, we'll, we'll take that, too. We can take lots of Johns and Marys and uh, uh, Kyles and Karens. You can email us questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Yeah, it's hard to ask what you need to know when you don't know what you need to know, but that's why we brought in attorney Francis Springer to let us know what we need to know. And it's always great information when Francis is on. And we, you know, we, um, Sometimes we ask him questions that, that are not part of the topics just because it's so interesting. We learn so much. And one question I have uh, for you, Francis, you mentioned that uh, both the city courts and the justice courts can conduct preliminary hearings of felony defendants. How would that work? When, when would a felony defendant be taken to either justice court or city court for a preliminary hearing? And what exactly is that preliminary felony hearing? The preliminary hearing is, is basically a right of someone that's been arrested and is in custody. And that's essentially to have just a brief hearing on the facts of the case where the judge can determine if it is likely that a crime was committed by this person. Uh, they can be allowed for, for people that are not in custody, that are out on bond. But the court's limited at that point to saying, hey, either this person needs to be released or this person needs to be held over. And that will happen before uh, anything's presented to a grand jury. It's basically just a safety net to, to keep someone that doesn't need to be in jail from being incarcerated. That makes sense. So, that, uh, so what, let's, let's move on now to county courts. You know, they're the ones that uh, I, I, you know, do a lot. And so, uh, and, and so, as do circuit courts. What, what, what about county courts? So, what do they hear? And county courts have have unique jurisdiction. They can hear misdemeanors or felonies. Uh, they can hear felonies that are assigned to them by the circuit court. And uh, the county court is the first level of court where the judge has to be a licensed attorney. And uh, that's. I don't want to say that's necessarily a good or bad thing compared to justice or municipal courts, but uh, it's it's unique to county courts. And not every county has a county court. I think they're about uh, 22, if I recall correctly, in uh, Mississippi. So if you don't have a county court, what you have from justice court and municipal court will be appealed to circuit court. If there is a county court in the uh, jurisdiction, it would be appealed to county court. So they hear appeals from the lower courts there, which is a de novo appeal. Basically, if you're found guilty in justice or municipal courts, you have the right to a brand new trial as if you've not been convicted. And in a, in a county without a county court, that would be in circuit court. With a county court, that's likely to be in county court. So county courts can hear you know, any felony assigned to them by circuit court except for capital crimes. They cannot uh, have jurisdiction of capital crimes, and that's uh, because the legislature has made that determination. We do have a question by email. It's 
Are there illegal questions if you get stopped for a traffic stop? Clarification, not outright outrageous illegal, but like subtle illegal questions. I'm, I'm guessing illegal questions by by law enforcement, I guess, is where that would be coming from. Uh, I can't think of any illegal questions. Uh, interestingly, that the Supreme Court has allowed uh, officers to be deceptive, and uh, they can tell untruths and, and that not be held against them. Uh, so I guess technically on that question, they can ask illegal questions. If, if I'm taking the uh, the questioner's term correctly, but you you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to answer. Right, you do have the affirmative right to say uh, I plead the Fifth Amendment, and I wish not to answer any questions. And uh, that's been determined lately where you do have to invoke that. You can't just remain silent because at some point remaining silent can be used against you. So it's it's best to say I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege to remain silent and I'm not as answering any questions. Well, there you go. If there's one thing that you need to remember to take away from this is is you don't have to say anything until you really do need to say I'm not going to say anything. Right. A lot of times I mean if you're in, if you think you might be in big trouble, not, you know, speeding ticket thing like that. But then that's where again reaching out to an attorney is probably your best bet as soon as possible because then that attorney can give you the advice what to do next and what not to do. Right. And so and something and like, go ahead, Ferris. Uh, I was just going to say on top of that, you, you know, a person can ask the officer, you know, am I I'm under arrest? Am I detained? Am I free to leave? And and they'll answer that. And uh, you can go by that. If they say you're free to leave, there's no reason for you to hang around. Uh, you can also ask the officer, you know, what am I being charged with or what crime do you suspect me of committing? And uh, sometimes you get, uh, well, you're suspicious. And a question I would return with, is that a felony or a misdemeanor? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we have to have law and order, but we also have to have our, our freedoms and our rights. So it's a good balance there. But you could definitely ask that officer anything you want to ask that officer. Ooh, okay. So I'll have my questions ready. You can also send us an email with your questions. And you don't have to give us your real name. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org We're talking with attorney Francis Springer about criminal defense. How do you select an attorney? We'll tell you what the Mississippi Bar suggests next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings on the website mpbonline.org slash radio. This morning, we're talking about criminal defense with our guest, Francis Springer from Springer Law Office. The Mississippi Bar suggests you should choose a lawyer as you would a doctor, dentist, accountant, or anyone who provides services. Comparison shop, check the credentials of different attorneys, discuss fees with them candidly, and don't forget to talk with them about the wisdom of retaining legal counsel in the first place. We are talking today about criminal defense, and we have a full bank of calls. Let's start first in Gulfport with Chuck. Chuck, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question for about criminal defense? Yeah, good morning. My question is about no prosecution as pertaining to if you're being maliciously prosecuted, if you have a Sixth Amendment nature and confrontation clause to mandate your constitutional day in court over judicial discretion to grant or not grant null proceed. Is this something you can answer, Francis? I might have to ask you to repeat that. I wasn't following exactly what the question was. Would you try that one more time for me? And I apologize yeah. for that. That's okay. It's complicated. It, uh, single issue, Francis. And <clears throat> I always enjoy hearing you. My question is on discretionary null proxy. Yeah. And that's given to the judicial discretion. As I understand it, it, it still is subject to the defendant agreeing to null prosy and when they are being maliciously prosecuted and they do not wish to accept a null prosy do they have a sixth amendment nature and confrontation clauses constitutional right to the day in court um over yeah. the discretion should yeah. the court grant it if I'm if I'm following you correctly, is is basically can you force the charge to continue to prove that it was done or not done? Is that what you're asking? Yes, yes. Not that I'm aware of. I, I, that's an interesting aspect. I've never even uh, thought about. To be honest with you, because uh, most people, when it's null process, they're they're glad to get it, and and that leaves it. But if it is a question of a potential malicious prosecution, that could be an issue. But I still don't believe the court is going to allow the uh, or going to order. I'm pretty sure the court will not order a prosecutor to continue with the prosecution. You run into several factors there, uh, even the separation of powers between the judiciary and the executive. 
And it was pretty much up to the prosecutor on what to do then. I'm not saying that there still wouldn't be a case potentially for malicious prosecution, but it gets really detailed into the facts of the case. Is a prosecutor an executive branch? Yes, it is. Oh, it's it's executing the laws. <clears throat> you learn something every day. From my understanding, though, federal and state, um, even if a prosecutor requests no prosy, if the case is faulty, it still is a constitutional issue of your constitutional right to have your day in court to expose, you know, preamble, secure justice uh, is our duty to um, to get our day in court. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, well, real quickly, you know, a judge can deny a, a non-pros motion by the state and, and force the case to go forward. What he can't do is, is force the prosecution to continue prosecuting the case. I almost got in that situation one time, and the uh, attorney general's office at the time said, if the judge won't accept this, we just rest uh, on, on the way out because we don't believe this is a, a right trial. But I think your day in court could come in civil court, and you could bring a, a lawsuit and potentially run— uh, your rights through the civil court, and I think that's where you would probably have the best result if you're seeking a malicious prosecution uh, remedy. Thanks, Chuck. We appreciate you calling in. Let's go to Patterson and speak with Bernard now. Bernard, we're glad you've called in. What's your comment or question today? Hello. Hi there. We are on In Legal Terms with Attorney Francis Springer. What's your comment or question? Okay, my question is, I deal with mental illness, and 30 years ago I got into the same problem I got into this time with depression, and I took pills and alcohol and blacked out. I live out here in the county. This was a county issue. And uh, I, I apparently when I was blacked out, I went into a deer farm next door, and they came and saw me two days later after I'd come to, and I wasn't really knowing what was going on. So I was arrested. And I, apparently, I took some stuff out, and I can't find it anyway. But um, they, I'm in for burglary, and I stayed there for three months because I have very little Social Security because of my mental health. I'm only getting 500 a month of my own money. It's not disability. So I finally bonded out, and that was three months ago. And I'm still trying to figure out, is there a statute of limitations on this, or what kind of help can I get? Because the sheriff, I told him about my mental health, and the sheriff was, seemed very nice. He said, we'll get you the help you need. But that never occurred, and I bonded out, and I hadn't heard anything. So I'm wondering if there's a statute of limitations or what I need to do. I don't have a lot of money, and, you know, it's a mess. And I, I did this 33 years ago. But when I was younger, my child abuse was worse, and I was going through a lot of stuff. I learned to live with it and uh, had counseling, but I had a relapse. There's no statute of limitations in Mississippi on burglary. Uh, now, there is a, a speedy trial issue that could come up, and that would have to be looked at specifically as to as what happened. Um, but, you know, if the problem with, with really society, in my opinion altogether, is we don't have the things in place to deal with with mental health and a lot of that I, does I get like tossed that. into law enforcement and into the court system and i know sheriffs you know that have that headache as well so there's, there's much empathy for that 
Uh, but, you know, as far as, as criminal culpability, you know, that's another question that would have to be made on the specific facts of the case. Right, right. I wish you luck. Yeah, thank you. I'm not a criminal by nature. It's just I have these episodes. Not everybody charged with a crime is a criminal, most definitely. And that's why we are bringing everyone this show. We want you to learn what's legal, what's illegal, what your rights are, what your options are, that if you or a family member or a neighbor, you could help them out when it's needed. Let's go to Vicksburg and speak with Raul. Uh, We're glad you've joined our show today. What's your comment or question? Am I pronouncing your name right, Mr. Vicksburg, Raul? Okay, let's go to Greenwood and do Alan. I can get that one. Alan, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Yes, ma'am. We see almost every day in the court, in the publications, newspapers, that uh, people have been out on parole or on bond and that they are uh, they repeat offenders they've been arrested again sometimes seems two or three times what is a judge's position or is it any law that that if you violate a bond or you get rearrested while you're out of way for trial it seems to me that that they would just revoke that bail and they wind up in jail on the first charge, if not the second. Um, is there any particular constitutional uh, protection or something that says you have to get bonded out on the on the second offense? Now that's, that's a good question because that is something that that comes up frequently is, is repeat offenders. Generally, if you're on bond and you commit another crime, that bond's going to be revoked. Um, and it, you actually will have a bond on the second crime as well that will probably be denied. Uh, so it's it's not as, as easy as it was before to revoke a bond uh, because basically the prisons were just overcrowded with simple things of a person not being able to get a job, this and the other. Uh, there are ways that a person on probation or parole or on bond can be revoked without committing a crime. But most definitely if another crime they're suspected of committing, they're going to 99% of the time be revoked. It's it's a judge's discretion, and a judge has a tough call there because the judge is kind of the gatekeeper between the overbearing arm of the government and the freedom of the people. And a lot of times judges get uh, unfairly criticized if someone they give a light sentence to goes out and commits another crime. We all want to prevent harm. But sometimes that judge is doing what's best with what's presented uh, to the judge. And if the state doesn't have a very good case and they can get a, a uh, an agreed lower sentence or something, you know, at least they've got something for the crime that was committed. So it's a very, very difficult thing to balance. And, and most of our judges get a real tough, uh, I don't know if what I would, I would say, just some negative press for that or publicity, but uh, I think most of our judges are doing the best they can. Thanks, Alan. We appreciate you calling in with that question. Our guest is attorney Francis Springer. We're talking about criminal defense. We can take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. What can you do if you can't afford an attorney? We'll give you some resources next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most our shows, where you can click the support button to make a contribution to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We had so many folks make contributions last week during our on-air pledge drive. We are so grateful to you. We are so thankful for you. We are so glad that you did. Hey, uh, Professor Gershon, one of our uh, frequent guests, Kelly Kyle, made a contribution, got his name entered into a drawing, and he won the smartwatch on Thursday with no help from us. That's awesome. My smartwatch is telling me it's time for me to stand. (laughs) (laughs) At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Now, the Mississippi Bar has a list of pro bono options. That means free. We also have a few podcasts dealing with the public defender system. We'll have those links on our podcast information. We're talking with criminal defense attorney Francis Springer from Springer Law Office, and we do have a couple of phone calls. Let's go to Houston and speak with Daphne. Daphne, we're glad you've called into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Um, I have a question. Um my mom is almost 80, and um, I was uh, shown some mail that she received recently. Basically, um, and looking into it, it's like one of those uh, uh, cash cash companies, uh, online banking companies. And um, I don't know how long ago it happened. She had had an instance in the past someone got all of her information, including her bank information. But anyway, um, the cash company is out of New York, and they sued. They took her to Justice Court, I guess, and, you know, I wasn't aware of anything. She didn't go or whatever. And they have a judgment, like a $1,500 judgment against her. Um, She... She's on a fixed income, knows nothing about it, and I'm trying to see how can I assist her. Uh, it's uh, the letter saying something about uh, they'll pre- they'll proceed with legal actions or whatever uh, leans against her um, property or anything like that. Yeah, I, 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 I really don't know how to assist her, so I'll just listen offline. Thank you. Sure, sure. What I would what I would recommend is either contacting your local law enforcement, either city or county where you live, or contact the attorney general's office because they deal with a lot of that, especially without being out of the state. Uh, if they're taking advantage of a vulnerable person, uh, which uh, your your eighty year old mother probably is, uh, they should investigate that or at least give you some points on uh, what you can do. 
Thanks, Daphne. We got to take care of one another, and it's a shame that there are scammers out in the world, but always have been. Let's go to Jackson and speak with Mike. Mike, we're glad you've called into in legal terms today when our guest is criminal defense attorney Francis Springer. What's your comment or question? Well, um, the man who called in earlier and said was concerned about having a no low um, final judgment and wanting to prosecute a um, malicious prosecution case, he probably can't do that because you have to have a... uh, favorable outcome and that's uh, i'm not sure you have to prevail but there is an action for abuse of process he might be able to seek and then on this last lady who just called um the attorney general has a consumer protection office and it's their job to do a lot of that stuff that's all i've got thank you Fantastic. And I think we have had consumer protection on either in legal terms or money talks. I work with both shows, so sometimes I get them confused. But we will have the link to that in the information for this show's website. Yeah, they have they have a very good branch of that that, uh, that handles a lot of problems like that that arise. All right. Richard, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, what What else do we need to hear from Francis? Well, and I, you know, we talked about uh, circuit courts a little bit, but so let's talk about federal courts uh, before we end. Uh, when do I end up in federal court as opposed to state court if I'm under uh, a you know, possibility of criminal prosecution? Federal court will come into play when a federal crime has been committed, uh, and that could be anything really from a speeding ticket on the Natchez Trace to uh, bank robbery. And uh, what some people don't realize, and uh, there's a big debate on whether it's a violation of double jeopardy, is uh, we'll take bank robbery again. That's against the law under state law and federal law. And you could theoretically or actually factually be prosecuted under both for the same crime. Uh, But federal court is limited to the things that uh, involve national statutes, the United States Code. So that would be two different jurisdictions getting together to see who maybe has the best case? Right. Each each is their own sovereign jurisdiction. Uh, so that's why the court said there could be prosecutions in each one. All right. Let's take our last call from Tupelo. We've got Stephanie. Stephanie, we're glad you've called into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Hi. Thank you. Um, I, my husband had a retirement account, and uh I, uh, my income contributed to the marital assets, uh, though I don't work. And his retirement account was considered our retirement account. And had I not done, uh, contributed money to our coffers, uh, he would not have been able to put so much money, the, the amount of money that he put into the retirement account. Um, now, he spent all that money without my knowledge and i'm wondering could that be considered a criminal offense since uh you know if we were to talk to a judge uh about divorce or something like that um half of the assets would be considered mine and am i correct oh i'm I'm assuming that you're, you're still married is that correct 
Okay, I don't think it's going to be a criminal act, uh, but I, I would say, you know, if you have a question there, contact your local law enforcement agency and just go over the facts with them or, you know, contact a, a private attorney and, and run the facts by them and see. But uh, more than likely, it's not going to be a crime. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. We're glad you've called in. And, uh, Richard, we just have about 45 seconds left. Well, I just want to say, Princess, if, you know, if one spouse does just spend the money right before divorce, then the court can say that uh, the other spouse is entitled to. Oh, to definitely. There's that. definitely there could be a civil uh, order to repair uh, to repair that to replace that money. Francis, we always enjoy having you on the show. We've had you on a couple other times. I enjoy every one of them. We will have the link to those shows on our our website. Francis is is the guy that you need to know when you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Other attorneys, uh, they're the ones that help you plan for the things you know that's going to happen. Francis, here's our go-to guy on the what do I do now. And we're so glad you could join us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Java Chapman and Jay White for helping us put our show on. And thank you so much for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and we do hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.